Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Well, welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute and also uh, with a secondary home on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. I'm Ryan Aris, and I'm joined as ever by Nathan Oblak and Dr. Joe Boot. We've also got our, uh, our special friend, Anita Benedict, in studio with us today. And we're, uh, awesome. we're mm-hmm. glad to have her here. Mm-hmm. One of Anita's greatest accomplishments is just being friends with us and being around us for the past <laughs> you know, 12 years or so and you know, staying, uh, not, uh, not developing some kind of tick. I don't know. <laughs> she actually hung out with Francis Schaeffer for many That's years. Right. Did you That's know that? right. Yes. Yeah. That, that dates her a little bit, uh, but we'll, we won't go into that. No. We're... Oh, that was later in the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> that was toward the end of Schaeffer's time. <laughs> My, uh, my home Bible study is reading uh, How Should We Then Live? Uh, right. Just mm. by the by. Right. Yeah. Was, uh, I was thinking about you, Anita, as we were reading it last week. That, uh, oh, yeah. I knew, I knew somebody who, uh, who met him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be that as it may, we're glad to be here for another episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. We are here uh, with some celebratory glasses of scotch today. We're mm. celebrating the release of Joe's new booklet, For the Kingdom of God. <laughs> this, this is a scriptural response to the philosophy of utopianism and the, uh, the cultural impulse of utopianism. You can get that at ezrapress.ca. We are also really pumped uh, and congratulating Nathan uh, <laughs> on the birth of, uh, of his new baby boy, Aaron Paul. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> I'm on my uh, fifth coffee here, and I'm ready to go. (laughs) Five boys, five coffees. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Becky, I think Uh, you should really be saying. No, I think you're right about uh, that. Well done to Becky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so any of you out there whining about inflation, uh, think of me and the grocery bills. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please keep listening. Please keep those uh, those subscriptions coming so that that Nate can buy diapers. (laughs) Uh, but uh, well done. We're pra- praising God for the safe arrival of young Aaron. Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. Uh, Joe, today, all, all of us today, uh, what I uh, what I had wanted to do, how I had wanted to start, as we're taking this uh, slow guided tour through Reformational philosophy, something that we uh, you touched on last week in the episode, Joe, that I wanted to cruise by again and uh, slow down at, is. You mentioned there are there have been four sort of historic ways or typical ways that people have conceived of the relationship between reason and religion, and uh, you ran through a few of the the misguided ways that uh, people have tried to synthesize these two or relate these two, and then at the end, you asserted or the reformational and the scriptural view, uh, which is that we encounter reality through God's self-attesting word. And one of the things that you mentioned there is that uh, one, one aspect of that is in creation itself. So I wanted to, to spend, uh, spend the balance of our time together today getting, uh, getting in and around that, uh, that statement about how we encounter God and God has, how God has revealed himself through, uh, through the creation. And I thought that uh, to kick us off, maybe you could engage with what's, uh, what's prob- maybe the most obvious and certainly one of the most significant passages that deals with this, and that's uh, a few verses in Romans 1. Mm-hmm. And since, uh, since this is the podcast for cultural reformation, I'm going to read a few verses here uh, from the, uh, the Geneva translation. Awesome. And uh, he writes, starting in Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, which withhold the truth in unrighteousness. For as much as that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him, that is, his eternal power and Godhead, 
are seen by the creation of the world, being considered in his works to the intent that they should be without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was full of darkness. When they professed themselves to be wise, they became fools, for they turned the glory of the incorruptible God to the similitude of the image of a corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed beasts, and of creeping things. We'll, uh, we'll leave it there, unless there was something you wanted to dwell on specifically a little later on. But I know that uh, myself personally, a lot of people, that we come, we come to that, we understand that uh, God has revealed himself in his word. We stand on that reformational principle of sola scriptura, and we come to a passage that says, mm. you know, the, uh, the attributes of God are seen uh, in nature, in the created order, leaving us without excuse, and we, we, just, we just kind of scratch our heads a bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Can maybe, uh, maybe you can start by talking a little bit about, about that passage and how, how we should interpret God's revelation in nature. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you uh, mentioned the, the, the principle of sola scriptura, which is one that Christian people in the evangelical tradition and the, the reformed condition, uh, condition, well, maybe being reformed <laughs> is a condition, <laughs> uh, in the reformed tradition are concerned with. Um, but we do have to be careful with, with how we understand that. Uh, there is uh, always a danger of bibliolatry mm. uh, within um, the Christian faith. What do you mean by that, Joe? Um, and by which I mean that we can begin to take a biblicistic uh, approach to everything, uh, whereby we fail to recognize that it's actually uh, the intertwined or the, the 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 fact that the word of god uh is of course revealed in scripture um but god's word the creation word is also central to the revelation of of in fact what the bible actually tells us about god's self-revelation so we have three elements if you will of mm. of of revelation in that we're, we're taught about in scripture and that is the creation word, the uh, the incarnate word in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who is not identifiable directly with the Bible. I and mean, we don't worship the Bible; we we worship right. the living God, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who has been manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's Scripture that tells us about Him. Um, and we've said before that it's possible for theologians to gaze at the Bible and the text even in its original language, and not uh, yet understand the Word of God. Mm. Now, uh, we have to be careful, of course, of the opposite ditch of a sort of Bartian, um, uh, you know, neo, uh, neo-Orthodoxy. Uh, De- deconstruction of the text. Uh, yeah, where, well, I'm driving more at the notion that... Um, you know, s- scripture as such is not the word of God, but right. is some sort of um, contains the word. It contains, okay. yes, contains the word of God. So, so, some now, in one sense, you can see what they were driving at. We must avoid bibliolatry, mm-hmm. uh, but people like Bart ended up dismissing, you know, large swathes of scripture as as myth and so on, right. um, and failed to uh, fully appreciate the way I think in which God is speaking through scripture. So when we talk about sola scriptura, the concern there of the reformers was to ensure that we didn't allow human tradition within the ecclesiastical sphere Mm -hmm. to trump the Bible. Mm -hmm. So just because a pope or a council said this or that, that somehow that is uh, sufficient and we don't really need to go to the scriptures, to the word of God. And so in that respect, the Reformation was back to the sources, back to the sources. How do we go back to the word of God? But we mustn't identify the Word of God simply with the words on the page in the Bible. Uh, the Word of God is his creation word. In that, in that respect, the Bible tells us that every word of God is his law word. 
um, I think we mentioned in the previous podcast, you know, when even the book of Genesis opens up and says, and God said, uh, let there be. That is his law word. So his creation word is something that is speaking. Hmm. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in Colossians 1 and in John 1, uh, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, is then identified as the Word. There you have another sense in which the Bible understands the, the idea of God's Word revelation. So it's in creation, it's in Christ, and then it's also inscripturated as apostles and prophets and patriarchs bear witness in human language uh, to that revelation of God. Um, and the, we believe in the plenary inspiration of Scripture, that the words themselves are inspired by God, and we should pay attention to the detail of their meaning. That does not mean, though, that we you know, worship the Bible. That's what I mean by bibliolatry. And, and, and a biblicism is where sometimes we can't, we are unable to look up from the biblical text, text itself to creation uh, as well. To understand that God has spoken in his creation and his word is manifest within creation. And actually, the beautiful thing, and I actually uh, deal with this a little bit, Nathan, in um, Four Mission, okay. at the beginning of, four, of the monograph Four Mission, uh, the way in which you cannot actually understand the incarnate word without the creation word and without the inscripturated word. Right? It's it's the uh, they're bound together. Um, in fact, if you try and understand the incarnate word without the creation word and its scripturated word, you get a Jesus of your own imagination. In the same way, you cannot deal with the creation word without the incarnate word and the inscripturated word. Then you have a kind of natural theology. You have pure speculation about the being of God and the nature of God, and you end up with the God of the philosophers. Uh, and, and at the same time, you cannot simply have the inscripturated word without a recognition of the creation word and the incarnate word. Um, otherwise, you do end up with this sort of biblicistic uh, uh, conception of, uh, of God that misses the fullness of the word, the personal reality of the manifest, historically manifest word of God in Christ, and, of course, the Bible itself, the inscripturated word, to be understandable, to be comprehensible, presupposes the clarity of the creation word. So, again, you imagine trying to read the Bible without the revelation of creation as mm. it's been made manifest. It, how would you possibly understand its meaning in the same way that we recognize that Christ is the interpretative key to Scripture? How could we possibly understand the inscripturated word without the fullness but actually by revelation of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus Christ is. It's not enough to just read passages from the Newer Testament and assume that that's going to give somebody insight into who Jesus Christ really is. Uh, without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives enlightening us to the fullness of the meaning of that word, that's a dead letter. Hmm. Right. So that's what we kind of, uh, where we need to be a little bit careful with how we talk about sola scriptura uh, is that we don't misunderstand what the reformers really meant by it. Mm -hmm. um, what they were trying to say was, look, what God has revealed to us in his word does not require popes and councils and priests and prelates to uh, define for us. And uh, their additions and the things that they've added to it are unnecessary for us. To, to live as faithful Christians. They did not mean God has not spoken fully and, uh, and, and uh, uh, clearly with a, with a certain perspicuity uh, in creation as well. Not that he manifests the story of redemption within creation, a revelation of redemption, but there is revelation in that uh, creation order. And of course, Romans 1 is one of the passages that proves that. Mm -hmm. As you're talking there, one of the... Uh one of the instances of what it sounds like you're talking is uh, people who who would read scripture talk about something like the sun rising and setting and assume like, a geocentric universe. Is that uh, sort of yeah. one of the possible implications of biblicism? 
Yeah, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could start, you know, it, it, we, we would have a very f- flat, uh, incomprehensible world um, if we were just even dealing with some sort of grammatical exegesis mm-hmm. um, because the word of God, the scriptures, are given to human beings who are fully embedded in the creation order. Uh, and in that sense, Scripture is an object within creation, and it's revealed in the lingual aspect in human language. Mm-hmm. So the Bible, in all, in in every part, presupposes the clarity of uh, of revelation within creation, so that we don't end up in those sort of uh, um, blind alleys. There is an expectation that we will, like Adam, go to creation and name and define and differentiate. Um, and that that's part of our our task as human beings, as we are fully embedded as creatures um, within creation. So it's just recognizing the totally intertwined and inseparable nature of the Word of God as creation, Christ, and Scripture. Great. Not forgetting the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to the under- to to a proper understanding of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's- before uh, before we go further, I forgot to mention at the beginning, a couple of you have sent in uh, some questions about the podcast, mm-hmm. some about, about uh, some of the things that you may have heard. We really appreciate that. We would love to uh, spend some time answering those questions. So le- leave a comment on uh, on the post on social media. Send us a direct message through there or an email. We're going to take a whole episode in uh, over the next couple of weeks and interact with some of the questions uh, directly from listeners. So again, yeah, send us your questions, uh, leave us a comment. We'd, uh, we'd be delighted to hear from you and uh, get deeper into some of the things that, uh, that you're interested in there. Uh, so Psalm 19 actually uh, ties in very well with Romans 1 in terms of what we're talking about, um, where... Uh, the it's a psalm of David. He says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech; night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech; there are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the end of the world." And so it's very interesting the way the, the the psalm is phrased. It's saying that even though creation doesn't speak in the way that you and I speak, uh, it communicates knowledge. Uh, and it's an inescapable and irreducible knowledge. Um, and that's actually important. That mm-hmm. it, it's, it, mm-hmm. it's, and, and some of it is indefinable too. And we'll come on to that when we, talk, when we go back to discuss the, mm-hmm. the various modal aspects. That there is there are certain categories that we know their meaning, but it, but they are indefinable. All we end up doing is using other words to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So there, there, they are, there irre, there's irreducibility and indefinability and undeniability about the creation revelation, which is presupposed in every human action, in everything that we do as human beings, in every kind of theoretical activity in the sciences and in philosophy, we are presupposing there actually a kind of certain knowledge. You know, we've said before that, um, and that, that's what we might call religious knowledge. There's, yep. a, there's a certainty about it, certitudinal, if you will. Uh, it's, it lies at the root of all our other knowledge activities. Mm. Uh, it's presupposed in them. And... Uh, it's actually been recognized by philosophers of science increasingly that you you must believe something in order to affirm anything else. There is no proposition without presupposition. So all the sciences, all our knowledge activities require actually a foundation of certainty before we can move anywhere. This is, of course, is one of the great insights of Cornelius Van Til in picking up reformational thought and its significance for Christian apologetics, uh, that in terms of the transcendental mm. argument or the mm. presuppositional argument that we begin with the living God 
that's our what we might call our, our supra theoretical a priori. It's what goes before everything else, the heart commitment to trust in the living God, the triune God of Scripture, manifest in Jesus Christ, revealed to us in the inscripturated word. And that's the that's the point from which we move move out. Um, and actually, the unbeliever is in precisely the same situation it, 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 with regards to being embedded within creation. Now, they may be working against that in apostasy, trying mm-hmm. to deny creation, and we're mm-hmm. in a culture trying to deny creational norms and creation itself to the very foundation of male and female. But there's this undeniable irreducibility to creation revelation. As the psalmist says, its message has gone out to the whole world, the whole earth, and that the clarity of that revelation is presupposed everywhere in Scripture. So uh, that's what we we mean when we begin to talk about uh, um, a proper understanding, a proper relationship between um, how we think about the relationship of of reason, our reasoning, mm. and religious foundations, which we dealt with in some detail last week. Mm-hmm. That old juxtaposition of you know, faith and reason, yeah. and you've got to chuck one out to em- mm-hmm. to embrace the other. No, reasoning analysis uh, is one function of the human heart, and faith, that pistical, that certitudinal aspect of our lives, uh, is another function mm-hmm. of the human heart. Um, but the, the the heart is that supra mm-hmm. theoretical starting point that's where it all begins um and actually the faith reason dichotomy owes very much its origins to that whole nature grace uh separation mm-hmm. which we have to reject from a reformational standpoint right. um from a i think a biblical and um and 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 a creational standpoint and, and joe you might have gone over this before in uh, previous episodes but when you say supra um rational what, what are you getting at there well, there's the uh, there's the the super theoretical a priori. Right. That's that which goes before right um, divine per se. We use that. Language yeah, we talked so. last week about the the our our, our divinity concept. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, there's the there's the what Doivert actually called the supra temporal heart of man, mm-hmm. by which he didn't mean that the the root of the human person, uh, like God, trans transcends time Mm. what he meant is that it's what goes before all the various functions of our lives that Mm. the root of our existence is not our thinking our feeling our this our that which different philosophers have tried to identify with the self but it's actually the heart uh, and and that's that supra temporal reality Mm. of the human person and it's from there that these pre-theoretical commitments, these religious assumptions, these divine per se's then uh, arise upon which worldviews are right. then constructed. So it's certainly not something we're actively thinking about. No. Right. Not, not in the everyday, right? <laughs> I mean, these things as we talk about them, and I know that, you know, I was um, on a podcast with our friend John Cooper of Skillet, uh, was it this week or last week? Last week. Yeah. And... Um, uh, he was saying how you know uh, some of our podcasts are pretty heady, uh, and uh, <laughs> <No>. you have to. <laughs> What's he talking about? Uh, and so you know, these are things that then the reason they feel that way sometimes, especially when we're talking about these issues, is because mm. these are not the everyday things people think about. You right. carry your pre-commitments with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not so much something you look at as something you see with. That's right. Bit like you know Ryan Spectacles there. You know, mm-hmm. it's something he's seeing with. Mm-hmm not looking at mm-hmm. and that's how these uh these sorts of commitments um work right so i just want to back up a little bit joe but you mentioned that uh, creation speaks uh there's a certain knowledge that's being communicated through creation i just keep thinking that um there would be a danger here of perhaps absolutizing um creation itself mm-hmm. How do we avoid that's, becoming uh, that's what Romans it, talks about right? It, right. And, and and I'm just wondering how do we uh, avoid becoming you know the radical environmentalists that are all over the place today? Yeah. Well, this is uh, I think one of the unique uh, contributions of 
the reformational perspective is that it, it, it helps us to identify when we are very much at risk of absolutizing that which is relative. Mm. Um, the reformational view of created reality is that there's this, this rich diversity of creation and that, remember, we cannot identify any aspect of creation, mm. uh, that which has been made as the source, the origin of all the others. Remember the beads and the string illustration, which mm. I think is really helpful, where secular philosophy has tried to say, which of the beads is actually the string that mm. holds it all together? So um, we actually recognize creation for what it is, which is creation. Uh, now, mm. the uh, the way that Paul talks about it, very interesting, because of course, one of the, the most important foundation stones of a Christian worldview is the creator-creature distinction. And where many Christians go wrong is falling into views of reality that are actually synthesizing creation and creator in some way. I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, but there is an absolute distinction mm. between the creator God and uh, his creation that it's vital to maintain. Um, and... Uh, if we don't do that, we end up with the description that Paul offers. And so Paul basically tells us that there are fundamentally two religions. And there are, of course, multiple subdivisions of the religions, uh, of the of false religion. But there is really a, there are really only two religions. How does he start? He says that they exchanged the truth about God for the lie. Right. Uh, not a lie, actually, the lie. Um, what is the lie? Well, the lie is the temptation that was the, the lie that was put to our first parents. Has God said first, you know, doubting the word of God, and then the the notion that was sown into their hearts, you will be as God. Mm. You will be as God, knowing, determining for yourself the nature of reality, really, good and evil, mm -hmm. you know, right from wrong, truth from falsehood. Um so Paul says they exchanged the truth about God for the lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So we begin with a truth exchange as our, as our fellow Peter Jones right. often talks about. We mm -hmm, begin with right. a truth exchange. Mm -hmm. In fact, he called his organization that truth exchange. Uh, it's followed by a worship exchange. And that leads on to cultural implications of worshipping the creature because he then says that the... the the, the proper differentiation, separation, distinction that God has established within creation, male and female, and sexual relations mm -hmm. are abandoned. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's then a so a truth exchange is a, followed by a worship exchange, followed by a sexual exchange. So what's actually going on very much in our culture right now is textbook idolatry. Yeah, right. mm. It's the worship and service of uh, the creature. It's a denial that there is a transcendent God who has given his law word to order and structure created reality. And it's a kind of, Paul is identifying really a kind of constructivism that we, as we would say in, in philosophy, uh, that you can construct the world from your own um, imagination. Uh, the mind of man will reconstruct reality uh, and build, build it afresh in terms of uh, his reason or his feelings uh, or... Um, some aspect of his aesthetic imagination uh, or in terms of his cultural historical desires for power and control. Um, and um, this, is, this is always the, the, the great danger. And when Christians don't adequately recognize that uh, this is what, that there, there is no such thing as neutral thought, that there's no neutral philosophy, um, we can get into things like, for example, when there was an attempt in philosophy to to take the logos idea of the Greeks, uh, and of course the Bible uses the term logos to, to for the word for Christ. The Greek logos doctrine was basically that there are uh, ideas in the mind of God or forms in the mind of God that somehow the human mind participates in are then reflected in in created reality and that's how we can know things mm. uh but that actually blurs when you think about it the creator creature distinction right yeah. uh scripture in fact is very plain that his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts in fact as high as the heavens are mm. above the earth 
Right? That is the, the, the degree of distinction uh, between God's thought and our thought. So this sort of pseudo-divinizing of man with this principle of reason participating in Logos has had a long history in the, in the life of the church um, in an attempt to port you know, Greek philosophical assumptions into Christianity mm-hmm. and reinterpret them uh, in, in this way that actually blurs one of the most fundamental and foundational distinctions um, that we need to embrace as, uh, as Christians, that mm-hmm. creator-creature distinction. God is known by revelation, and he manifests his law word within creation. There is a structure, there is a norm. Um, but when we recognize that norm, we're looking at created reality. We're not somehow accessing eternal forms in the mind of God. That is the speculative Greek philosophy that confounds the creator-creature distinction. Mm. So really, in a lot of ways, we're, we're just seeing man responding autonomously to creation as opposed to everything you've been describing. Yeah, so one of the reasons that natural theology and natural law ideas and so forth are, you know, have remained so popular is that they often seem to be a route to, or, to some kind of order uh, or structure for thought without the need for concrete revelation from God. Right. One of the things that Van Til helpfully pointed out is that God never left human beings simply to stare at creation mm. uh, and reach their conclusions. He, Because even in the garden, he spoke to our first parents. He communicated with them. He walked with them in the cool of the day. Every, I mean, imagine, we can't even imagine what those conversations were like mm. and then the, the 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 terror of the break of fellowship when they hid from god um so they were never left without verbal communication this is why i say it's so important that we do not lose the the uh, the unbreakable coherence of creation word incarnate mm. word and inscripturated word um as soon as we separate them off we are, Nathan, mm-hmm. trying to somehow find some autonomous realm yeah. mm-hmm. uh, where we can take things our way. It's like the way many modern Christians speak about political life. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, um, there's general revelation and uh, natural law, and that's the basis on which we do politics. Well, who's natural law? Mm-hmm. Which, which, which mm-hmm. philosophical tradition are you referring to? Mm-hmm. And, we, and because of the fall into sin, and our ruin, which Doyavert says is the critical foundation of uh, the ground motive of the Bible. It's not a theological construct. Our creation, our fall into sin, and our redemption in Christ. If we neglect that, we forget that, that man as a sinner is ruined. And, and again, those who tried to port the Greek tradition over into the Christian tradition failed to fully recognize the radicality of creation. So... Uh, there's a failure to fully recognize that creation is wholly dependent on God. There was room left for an eternal matter or form, even in Aquinas. Mm-hmm. It's unclear, really, what he really believed about creation from nothing. There's a lack of a radical understanding of the fall. So that rationalistic tradition has kind of said, well, you know, human reason is good as far as it goes, but it needs grace on top just to take us to redemption and, and, a, and, a, and a full understanding of salvation. But as far as it goes, it's fine. So there's a failure to recognize that total depravity doesn't mean that you and I are as evil as we possibly can be in all of our actions. It means that in the totality of our being, in every aspect, mm. that our, not just our feelings and our aesthetics, our aesthetic aspect and in the historical aspect and social aspect of our lives, but also in the analytical, in the logical, the, the rational aspect of our life, that is also affected by sin. So the notion that we can just come to the world without Christ and his revelation and say, well, we're going to build ourselves a legal structure, a political structure, a philosophical structure. And, you know, maybe the Bible will have to pop down from the upper story we spoke about last week and clip us around the year occasionally if we say something that's overtly contradictory to something in the Bible. <laughs> but, but other than that, basically we can build, there is no Christian view of law or Christian view of politics or Christian view of these things because it's all 
participation in reason, in mm. nature, in a general revelation. But I've hopefully argued uh, effectively that these cannot be separated from one another. Who is the one who reveals, the, who gives law in creation according to uh, uh, Colossians 1 and John chapter 1? It's Christ. It's not some deistic principle, right? It is Christ in whom all things consist. He is the one, the word, who is speaking in the context of creation itself. Uh, you can't separate creation from Christ and say, well, that's about redemption. Um, and you cannot separate the Holy Spirit either. He's hovering over the face of the waters in creation, and he's the mm -hmm. one who's regenerating hearts to understand his word uh, when we read the inscripturated uh, word itself. So any attempt to separate creation and redemption in some way and put these into different domains uh, and separate all of these aspects of life from Christ is exactly what you're talking about, Nathan. Mm -hmm. It's an attempt to find some autonomous sphere where I'm not bound by the clear declarations of Scripture. Mm. And this is, uh, everything you're talking about is kind of a, a happy a confluence of a few things that we talk about regularly here. Mm. So one of the things that you mentioned last week that uh, that I kept reflecting on was the statement that our it's our religion that determines our science. Mm -hmm. It's our starting point, our certitudinal starting point that influences and forms our our academic inquiry and academic reflection. Uh, that informs uh, again some the uh, these inescapable structures mm. of uh, law and civilization and mechanics and mathematics. Mm. And it's, uh, it's, it's just interesting to me that, uh, that these different elements work together in, uh, in developing or holding forth in a worldview. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I think one of the, I had an email or Nathan had an email, uh, I think last week, mm. We just get one big email bucket and everything, everyone <laughs> <Yeah>. reads it. <laughs> and I know we're going to do a, an entire show where we just we'll pick up questions. But one, mm. one of the questions we got was, you know, it, it's easy to see from, say, biological theories mm -hmm. like neo-Darwinism or, you know, vitalism, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, um, uh, the religious import, the, the religious influence behind them, uh, same with sort of views of history and so on, maybe right. harder with things like, mathematics yeah um now we can say based on what we've been talking about today that uh the 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 structure of creation which don't forget the bible talks about that which is visible and invisible mm -hmm. we often don't reflect on that i mean you can't see number mm -hmm. now i can certainly you know when my children were small they had numbers attached to the fridge yeah uh fridge magnet numbers mm -hmm. but if i held the took the number five off the fridge I couldn't have said, I've got number five. Nobody else can have it now. Right. Yeah. Um, no, that's just a, 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 a an, uh, in, you know, whether we use a pen or whether we construct it out of plastic, that's just a symbol representation. Yeah. representing quantity. Mm -hmm. In that case, the quantity of five. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, numbers in that sense are abstract uh, entities um, that, that uh, we can't see one running past us mm -hmm. right now. Uh, the same with laws of thought, uh, when we th when we start thinking about um, uh, laws of logic and so on, so both the visible and the invisible are uh, uh, aspects of created reality as God has made it. And I've totally forgotten where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> but um, let me just uh, think about that for a moment. Well, while you're thinking of that, Joe, uh, and I'm, not, that. I'm not even sure if we have time uh, for this with the remainder of our episode, but as you're talking about how we're interacting with the various aspects of reality, I know it, uh, it reminds me of something we, we very often discuss here at the Institute, but it's this idea of structure and direction uh, and the idea that we can't interact with these different aspects in any kind of neutral fashion. And again, you're talking about creation um, being certain, being uh, there's truth communicated through creation, that creation, the structure itself is good, mm -hmm. um, but we're going to respond to it in either a faithful mm -hmm. 
or unfaithful direction. I wonder, mm. that might not be what you were thinking of, but I wonder no, if you we, want to respond well, we, to that. Well, we can, we can circle back around to that. So sure. um, the, this whole, this, this question, that's right, that we, we were sent about mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how, how do you show the religious underpinning there? And I just talked about, you know, quantity and, and, uh, and, and so on. Um, it's interesting that when you look at mathematics itself and you, and you talk about numbers, the most fundamental question, what, is, what are numbers, is not agreed upon mm-hmm. uh, by philosophers. Right. Uh, so, you know, we can, we can say, well, people say, well, two plus two is four for the Christian and the non-Christian. Well, okay, but let's pause at that a moment. Mm. First of all, what are numbers themselves? Are they merely cultural products? Mm. Are they just tools for doing a certain job like John Dewey thought? Are they um, a shortcut to doing logic, uh, as Bertrand Russell argued? Are they um, eternal entities in some other world like the Pythagoreans? And actually some modern philosophers believed in in number world theory, Mm. uh, that there was another abstract world of numbers. So you've got, first of all there, you've got a a complete disagreement about what numbers are. And then you have um, intuitionistic and rationalistic schools within mathematics. In fact, Mm. Meredith Klein um, has written, uh, I think it's Meredith Klein, or is it Morris Klein? Uh, Dr. Klein, anyway, K-L-I-N-E, has written a book on mathematics. Um, And uh, he talks about how this edifice of 19th century mathematics as a sort of the most certain science and absolute certainty uh, has been totally decimated and destroyed in the 20th century um, with different ideas, different schools. And then actually there's even something um, incredibly fascinating, uh, which I don't fully understand because I'm not a mathematician, but Kurt Goodell, a famous mathematician, uh, talked about and argued that uh, there is a... Um, incompleteness in mathematical theorems and that in any theorem not all of them all of the fundamental uh premises if you can call them that in math uh can be proved that the starting point itself not there is always uh something that has to be taken on faith um even in theorems within mathematics it's called kurt goodell's incompleteness theorem um and that's recognized that there is an incompleteness there. And so one of the things that Van Til observed, for example, is he said, you can say two plus two equals four, but religiously, that, and this comes to structure and direction, mm-hmm. that reality that's true because we're embedded within God's creation, and that's his law for the quantitative aspect, mm-hmm. the arithmetical aspect of life, um, that issue that structure which is true for all uh can either enable you to move towards god and understanding the beauty the order the majesty of god's created order or it can depending on your religious starting point make right. you think that you can get further away from god that i maybe i can deconstruct all of creation down to its most mathematical basic elements and then rebuild it rationalistically Mm. in terms of my own ideas about reality, which is effectively the project of rationalistic philosophy to rebuild reality in terms of that uh, mathematical science ideal. So does math help me get closer to God in my relationship to him religiously or not? That's the point about structure and Uh, direction that you're making the structures of all the aspects of creation that we've talked about hold for everyone Hmm. the believer and the non-believer alike in that sense it is all those structures are revelation from god they are his law word and i think i've used before in our podcast i've talked about the whole image not just of world view but the metaphor of hearing that scripture actually give to us, that we are homo respondens. Mm. We are responding creatures to the word of God. God speaks his word and we are to respond to it. And, th- and that, so the word is the structure. So uh, God's law for creation is the structure that binds all, but our response is what gives us the differences that manifest themselves in human thought, in human f- religious practices, in human culture and in all the sciences it's how do we respond to creation 
uh, and, and not just to the creation word, but how do we respond to the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we respond mm. to his inscripturated word? Mm. Um, we are responding, we, and that's why we have responsibility. Mm. As human beings, we have a responsibility in a way that a rock, a tree, which respond in their own way <laughs> to the word of God by virtue of various laws, uh, we have a responsibility before God as human beings that transcends anything else in all of creation. That's one of the reasons we're utterly unique in creation and cannot be likened to a hive of bees or a flock of geese or any other group of animals, is that we have a unique responsibility. We can respond to God and to his word. And that fixing that distinction that you've made, Nathan, in our minds is critically important. The structure of creation, Psalm 19, mm. Romans 1, mm. and our response to it is direction. Is it an apostate direction, a rebellious mm. direction that we're moving in culturally, or is it uh, one of um, obedience? Um, I think I've got like a couple of minutes left here as I look at that clock on your computer, Nathan. Um, <laughs> So um, it's a good place to end, maybe, and then perhaps going into next week, we can have a more detailed discussion about them. But one of our um, fellows, uh, Dr. Danny Strauss, who I would argue is the world's uh, leading expert today on uh, Doyavard's reformational thought, and uh, in particular the modal aspects, um, as he uh, articulates them, he uh, uh, identifies seven... Uh, basic steps that are central to the Christian response. Mm. How do we respond? What is it that makes Christian thought, a Christian in law, in politics, in any of the sciences, uh, distinct? What is distinct about our thinking as opposed to the way the world thinks? The first principle, he says, that we accept God's law for creation. That we recognize right. that there is this indubitable starting point, is, right. cre is, is God and his creation. Which a lot of those mathematicians you described earlier are not doing. Right. Right. They're not beginning there. Right. So they're we, presuming on it. Yes. Yeah. So right, we are lo looking for a different explainer. Yes. Yeah. Looking for an alternate explainer. Yeah. So we have a we have in that first principle the reality of the triune God and his law for creation. So that's where we start. That that he has given he his every word for creation is law. Second we acknowledge the interrelatedness and dependence of created reality. So rather than trying to identify one of those beads, as you've said, like the non-Christian mathematician, uh, and saying, um, here's, the, here's the bead that can account for the string. Here, here's, what is, here's, the, here's the origin. Here's the origin of creation within creation, <laughs> in other words. Um, we acknowledge the interrelatedness and dependence of all of it. So all of creation is totally dependent. The third principle is confessing the rule of Christ over all domains of creation. You'd think that would be a simple one, wouldn't you? <laughs> You'd think that would be the easy one for Christians <laughs> to accept. Why don't we accept it? Ryan, you not, explain that to me. Not so, right? <laughs> you know, wh why is it so hard for us to accept on the basis of you? You open the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis. You open the Gospel of John. Why do we not accept the, the rule of Christ over all domains of creation? That's the third principle. Mm. So we accept God's law for creation. We acknowledge its interrelatedness and dependence. We confess the rule of Christ over it. Fourthly, we subject ourselves to the key to knowledge. And the key to knowledge, we've talked about this before, biblically, is this motive of creation, our fall into sin, and uh, our redemption in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. That is not the product of the uh, cogitations of theologians. That is the fundamental, basic reality that's revealed to the believer by the Holy Spirit, that we're God's creatures, that we're sinners, that we need redemption. Mm. Um, and that is the uh, fact of creation, the, the fact of, of revelation, I should say, that we need to subject ourselves to. Fifthly, he says, uh, knowing Christ as the fullness of creation. That's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So we don't just see Christ as our redeemer uh, and even the one who rules over all the domains of creation, but the one who is the fullness of the creation. In him, all things consist. 
And uh, sixthly, we uphold the distinctness of structure and direction. So now we're mm. recognizing that distinction between the structures of God's created order, which hold for everyone, and the direction of our hearts, which can move. And that's why Van Til talked about the problem of human analysis of, of man's logic is that like a buzzsaw, it can cut in any direction. Hmm. It can cut this way, it can cut that way. Uh, the structures hold, but the direction in which our thinking cuts is going to be different depending on our faith perspective. And then finally, he says, avoiding any absolutization of something within creation. So there's this many-sided but integral, coherent biblical starting point that actually undergirds reformational philosophy. If you want to understand reformational philosophy, you take those seven points. That's the foundation of it. And that is distinct. I mean, there is no other Christian way of thinking that starts in that way explicitly and faithfully without trying to synthesize that perspective with some other uh, view. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll probably circle back around in the coming weeks to those, to those seven fundamentals of the Christian response. We'll have to post those on our website somewhere. I think so. Yeah. Is that is that something that uh, listeners can get at uh, Danny Strauss's website? Uh, well, there is getting at Danny Strauss's website, and then there's getting at Danny Strauss's website. <laughs> okay. If you mean, yeah. <laughs> can you identify the the title of the of the essay? Uh, yes, um, I, I would say that for the average reader, um, uh, some of Danny's essays are not always the easiest starting point. But um, if you want to visit dfms at cknet.co.za, say that again, that's dfms at cknet.co.za, you can find um, literally hundreds of academic articles that Dr. Strauss has written I'll put um, a link in the uh, in the description yeah. for everybody who didn't catch that. And uh, this are the, the the article in which he talks about those seven principles is called Christian Scholarship: The Inner Reformation of the Various Academic Disciplines. Um, but um, uh, not for the faint of heart, I should add. This is this is not rung one of the latter. No, it's not. It's not the coffee table yeah. uh, uh, discussion. So just to just to forewarn our our listeners if they delve there. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll call it a day for now, and uh, I've really enjoyed getting uh, in and around this subject more with you guys. Mm-hmm. Anita, it's great uh, to have you sitting in with us. Thank you very much. I I have some questions, but maybe another podcast. Send them in. <laughs> you know, we could actually get uh, and uh, maybe get Anita to uh, come and ask the questions when we've collated them. Uh, she idea. she could kind of like mm-hmm. be the. She could ask the questions in studio. That'd right. be a blast. That's mm-hmm. a good yeah. idea. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for, for being here. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation. I remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory. We'll see you again next week. It's passed down as a prophecy. Every year about this time